Next Chapter Podcasts. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Chilton. Hope I'm not being too forward, but dude, you got my WAP going. The song is I'm in love with a girl. It's by Big Star. It's off their 1974 sophomore album, Radio City. It's also number 405 out of 500 on the 500 with Josh Adam Myers. And if you have never listened to an episode, guess what? I'm Josh. I'm the king of fleas. And you are in the Fleece Army. And thank you for tuning in to the only podcast that's going through Rolling Stone Magazine's list of the 500 greatest albums all the way down to one. Dude, we're about to break into the threes. How many of you thought we would have given up a while ago? Raise your hand. There's a couple of you. I see you. We're a tight community. And I love each and every one of you guys for tuning in. And for all the people doing the Instagram stories, thank you guys. Take a screenshot of how you're listening to the 500 and tag me at Josh Adam Myers, tag at the 500 podcast, and put the guest name, Jody Stevens. Show the world how you're listening to the 500. Also, guys, check out our sponsor, Sunset Lake CBD. Sunset Lake CBD is an incredible company that is making CBD accessible for all of you. They are pesticide-free from Vermont. They've got CBD flour that doesn't get you high but takes away all the anxiety and shuts the voices off in your head. They got pre-rolls. They're pretty dope. If you're not a smoker but you want to enjoy the benefits of CBD, they've got gummies, tinctures, topical salves, all made with CBD oil extracted from the organic farm's hemp. And guys... That tincture I give to my dog, and I'm this is not this is completely honest. I'm speaking from my heart. Lekka hurt her paw. Uh, they gave her a bunch of medication. It was fucking up her stomach, and it wasn't healing the problem. When Sunset Lake CBD sent me the tincture, I gave it to the dog, and within days she was walking great and she's fine. It reduces inflammation, guys. You have CBD in your body naturally I think and when you take this it it basically just gives you all the goodness out of it so go to sunsetlakecbd.com use the promo code JAM500 for 15% off your next purchase Sunset Lake CBD Fleece Army you know what to do
I have some upcoming shows I want to tell you guys about. I will be in D.C. October 1st through the 3rd at the D.C. Comedy Loft. Also, guys, October 8th, I need you to save the date. If you've always wanted to see the goddamn Comedy Jam, we are going to be piping it right into your living room via an incredible technology that my friends have created. I am so excited to bring this to you. I am so excited to announce the lineup because it's going to be the television show that we always wanted to do with the goddamn Comedy Jam. I couldn't be more excited. Save the date, October 8th. The lineup announcement is coming soon. Be there or be spoogle. All right, let's dig into this record, guys, because it's our third and final big star record on the list. We all now have masters in the art of big star. Released in February of 1974 on Ardent Records and produced by John Fry, this is the second album by the highly influential American rock and proto-power pop band, Big Star. So if you listen to any of the other two episodes we've done, we're not going to go through the whole history. So let's pick it up from after they released their first record. So they release Big Star number one album, which is considered a pop masterpiece. But because it was on a traditionally black record label, they didn't know how to market a group of young white guys. And the album sold deadly. The band's frustration at hindered success led to tensions and even physical confrontations. After working on a few new songs, Chris Bell quit and the band took a hiatus. Alex Lowe moved forward with recording a few more songs with drummer Richard Roseborough and bassist Danny Jones. Because a lot of their fans were only rock critics, John King of Arden organized the Rock Writers Convention in Memphis in 1973, and it was essentially a party engineered to get Alex, Andy, and Jody back together for them, and it worked. They were a huge success, and it inspired them to pull back together to finish the record. Unfortunately, before it came out, bassist Andy Hummel, who was in his last year of college and didn't see a future in the band, quit to pursue a more normal life. They got a different basis to tour, but sadly, when the album was released, their label got into a disagreement with their new distributor, and that blocked most of the world from getting the new record. The record still sold a modest 20,000 copies, but it wasn't enough to keep the band together. And as you know, Alex and Jody did go back to the studio with assorted musicians in 74 to make their third record, and founder Chris Bell tragically died in a car accident around the same time. But you can hear more about that and more on those past episodes we did. Check them out, guys, because Big Star is one of those bands that I'd seen their name, but I had never listened to their music. And having completed the trifecta on the 500, it's just been it's been a gas, man, because they are a band that I feel more people should know about. And today we have the original drummer from Big Star, Jody Stevens. Incredible guy. I'm so happy that we got him. He gave us such great insight and the real inside scoop into what Big Star was going through before and during and after the record. This is why we do the 500, guys, so we can have conversations like this. I couldn't be happier with this episode, and I can't thank Jody enough for taking time out to speak with me. Rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe to The 500 and listen free on all platforms. If you're listening on Apple, please leave a five-star rating and leave a review. It really helps us. I can't thank you enough. Please, dear God, do it. Follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media. Email the podcast at 500podcast at gmail.com. 
Follow the Facebook group, The 500 Podcast with Jam. And for all things 500, go to our website, the500podcast.com. Welp, guys, nothing left to say, but here we go with number 405 out of 500, Radio City by Big Star. Dude, thank you so much for taking time out to talk to me uh, today about this record. For me, it's it's crazy because we've done all... This is our third big star record we've done on the 500. And for me, it was, honest to God, the first time I had heard any of these records. And now, it's like with the love that I've developed for the music, for the band, for the story, it's it's just... I, I, I just... I'm so excited for this. So, normally... I'm asking our guests when they first heard the artist and the album before diving into the songs, but you know, you were there. So what was your first impression on meeting the rest of the guys in the band? I, uh, you know, interestingly enough, not, not, not to, to, to put an age to myself, but, uh, that was 50 years ago. Oh my God. Uh, (laughs) March, 1970. And, uh, I was still in high school but I was I was playing drums in the play here at Memphis State. Andy Hummel came to see a show, and and uh, and I'd known Andy for a while since, since probably I was in the seventh grade or so or, or eighth grade, uh, and that's another story. But um, uh, and uh, we talked. Andy knew my brother Jimmy, who was playing bass, and and Jimmy and I kind of grew up together playing. But uh, at the end of it all, he said, "Hey, you want to come jam with some friends?" and I said, yeah, that'd be great. Be fun. And we, we wound up going to Chris Bell's back house. And uh, Steve Ray was there. Of course, Chris was there. Uh, Tom Eubanks might have been there. And, and Tom was kind of a, an early connection for us in, in a group called Rock City. Uh, we did an album. Chris and I and Andy did an album with uh, with uh, with him. And uh, so at any rate, Tom was there. And we just had, you know, it, I, I guess we all hit it off. Um, and uh, so that pared down a bit um, to just, I guess, the four of us. And, and Chris and Andy and and uh, I did some recording with Tom Eubanks. Uh, when, when I first met, uh, when I first walked into Arden, which not at this location, but over on, on uh, National, uh, Chris Bell was recording with uh, Steve Ray, and Steve was the was the dr- the drummer that they were, were using, a guitar player and singer and songwriter. Uh, but he was going away to school, and so they needed a drummer, and so that's where I entered. Um, but anyway, my, my first impression really was was I'd known Andy, uh, so I was comfortable with Andy, um, and uh, I was with Andy, and 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 we happened to. Meet up with Chris outside, and and uh, Andy introduced me, and Chris said hello, and and then Chris pulled Andy about you know ten feet away to talk to him, and I I thought well that that's interesting. There's there's something private. I'd never had anybody do that before in an introduction. <laughs> so Chris was a pretty private fellow. Yeah, and uh, I have no idea what they said, but. Uh, you know, it all worked out, and the three of us were working, started working together, and it uh, we all kind of clicked musically. Um, 
in a you know in a really fun way, rewarding way. Yeah, I mean, you could tell in the music off the first record. I mean, a hundred percent. But there's a whole different story about about the second record, Radio City, that we're discussing today. So, so where were your heads at when you started recording this record? Well, as you know, uh, Chris had left the band yeah. by that time, and uh, and Big Star, Alex and Andy and I sort of drifted apart. Um, and in the meantime, John King had put together this rock writers convention here in Memphis uh, with lots of folks, uh, Lester Bangs and, and a lot of cream writers, Bud Scapa, uh, there's a really dear friend of mine uh, now, uh, Andrew Tyler, who wrote for the NME, uh, I don't know, uh, Cameron Crowe, a bunch of folks, Danny Goldberg, a bunch of folks. And... Uh, so, and John got us to play that as a three piece. And uh, we played that and Richard Meltzer introduced us in a, in a pretty lewd way from, from what I've heard people telling stories about it. Um, and then we started our set and people just went nuts. Uh, and I'm saying that just because it was, it was incredibly inspiring for us and encouraging and, and so we walked out of there thinking that we would do another, you know, another album together, and that became Radio City. And our heads were really at getting about the the creation of the music, which primarily came from Alex. There were several tracks that Alex and and uh, Chris had written together along with Andy, and apparently they divided those tracks up. and And Oh My Soul and Back of a Car, I think, were two of those uh, that we kept. Um, so, and, you know, into the studio we went. I, I, on that record, I got to sing Andy's uh, Way Out West. Andy didn't want to sing it. and um, So that, that was fun. I was honored to do that. And uh, So, yeah, we just went into the studio with John Fry. I had a new drum kit and bought a set of Ludwigs. Uh, I already had a set of Ludwigs, a smaller kit. I, I bought it like a little oversized kit of Ludwig's and, uh, you know, change sticks and, and, you know, we all evolve in, in, in the meantime and, and, uh, as players and, 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 you know, we, we now have other influences as well. Um, and we just got about the business of recording radio city. We had a bit of time we rehearsed songs and, and recorded them. And, and, uh, that's, what's fun about, uh, being mentored by John Fry and, and Ardent Studios is that, you know, we could come into the studio and spend as much time as we wanted, really. Did you feel like there were any stakes on this record as well? I mean, because because number one record, it's, you know, critically acclaimed, from my understanding, and it, but it's like the sales weren't what it should have been. Right. So for this record, after doing that, that, that big conference, which I was told, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I was told that that conference was created so they could get you in front of all of those critics. Am I right about that? See, that's not the way I remember it. I remember it as, as uh, John King getting this conference together to promote acts that were on the Stax label. And uh, there was a, a an English band called Skin Alley. And uh, there was a Memphis band, you know, really killer Memphis band, uh, Larry Raspberry and the High Steppers, very high energy 
uh, and they were on, I mean, they may have been on the Enterprise label, which is part of Stax. And John King, at least I, the way I remember it, is he approached us and said, you know, the, the, the writers would really like for y'all to play, uh, you know, please do. And uh, and we all agreed. So it, it's almost like a we were an afterthought, maybe quite not an afterthought, but... Uh, but for me, it was we were the underdogs, and you know what? We didn't really have anything to lose, other than that. You know, usually, you play for rock writers, and uh, you know it's a pretty scary experience. Not because they are scary people, but because you know there's a lot on a lot at stake, and you know because whatever whatever that performance is, it uh, it it'll wind up in the press. So yeah, you know your little. Uh, Little, little scary. Oh, I can imagine. I can imagine. And so, so you get into the studio. You, you, you start working on these songs. And I mean, how easy? You said you had time, but like, how would you say from the time you entered the studio until this was finished? Like, how long did it take you guys? See, I don't know. I, I couldn't even tell you. I know number one record. We started in '71, probably around April, March, April of '71. And it came out in 72, later on in 72. But Radio City, I don't know. I mean, we did some demos. We uh, we played a gig. It, uh, I had time to, to develop drum parts and and, uh, and, we, and to, for us to kind of come together on that material. Uh, so to tell you the truth, I don't know. I don't, I don't think Radio City was a one or two take each song. I think... I think really it was more than that because I just remember songs evolving and, and 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 our the three of us getting closer and closer and then finally it was it was there. So I don't know, but I just remember it being a damn good time because all this. I mean, that's the best drum sound I've ever gotten. Oh my god! I mean, well, let's just let's just dive into the record because I, in my opinion, the first song really showcases how incredible and the sound of the drums that you were playing and where you were at. So, and before we go any further, I said it off air, but For You is one of my favorite songs that I've heard since I've started doing this podcast. And, dude, you killed it. So, thank you for writing that. Thank you for singing that, everything. All right. So, the album opens up with possibly my favorite big star song ever, Oh My Soul. And it kicks off. So, you're kicking off this album with a garage rockabilly guitar riff and you unleashing a fury of fills before you all get in the groove and then hang on for dear life uh peter play a little taste So this might be my favorite big star moment ever, and uh, I, I'm not saying I'm an expert, but I have I have studied all three of them. In my opinion, because besides this being the longest song on the record, I hear some Led Zeppelin and maybe some Velvet Underground influences in this one. Am I right about that? I would think uh, Led Zeppelin was everywhere. Yeah, and and uh, and Alex was a big fan of the Velvet Underground. I, I kind of came to be later on. Uh, I I was a big fan of Led Zeppelin, and as was Andy. 
I think. Uh, so drumming, John Bottom and, and uh, you know, Ringo was my first and then Keith Moon and all Charlie Watts and Al Jackson. But, you know, John Bonham comes along and, and adds a whole nother dimension to it. And, and just uh, blows it away. It was funny because I don't know if you know the comedian Bill Burr, but uh, we do this music comedy show and Bill is such a huge fan of John Bonham. He bought this drum set, the same kind of drum set that John Bonham used, and it was some of the biggest drums I had ever seen in my life. And we were playing at the Roxy, and he would just hit that like that bass, like Tom, I think is what it's called, and it just was like a boom. But what sticks out about this song is not just the guitar riff, it's not just the melody, but it is the sound of your drums and your fills. Now, this one... Like Back of a Car was written while Chris Bell was still in the band. And so much has been said about how painstaking and particular Chris was in the studio. So I want to know, what was it like all of a sudden being in the studio without him? Well, much of it, what, what, you know, what, much of what was exciting to me were just the songs and, and the performances. So, you know, Alex killer guitar player, Andy, great bass player. Songs were inspirational. How, how can you not be energized by the way his guitar riffs and everything and Oh My Soul? And that's what just kind of electrified me and, and inspired that performance. Uh, so I don't, we just kind of picked up, easily picked up where we left off with Chris in, in, in kind of another, in a different direction. I mean, but there were these still these great melodies and and uh, you know great guitar riffs and and leads and stuff. Uh, so, I you know it. I I don't think we skipped a beat. I mean, I did miss Chris. That's for sure. Uh, but then you know he he Chris went on to do Cosmos, and that's pretty damn amazing for sure. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. Uh, one particular thing that I found out that separates this from the rest of the album is that this song is mixed in mono, meaning everything is heard in the center, while lots of fans have wondered why uh, and why they can't get it in stereo. Was that on purpose or an idea from one of you, or was that the producer? It was... It came from either Alex or Andy. 
uh, and it was on certainly on purpose, and that's the only way it's available. I mean, we could go. We have, we have the multi tracks. We could go in and remix it stereo. But uh, sure. All right. So then this uh, then the album goes into Life Is White. Now uh, here is some of that melancholy pop we've come to love from the band. Uh, Peter, play the intro. Don't like to see So this uh, this kind of has like a Beatles White Album vibe, you know. I know that I know that Chris and Alex were really influenced by the Beatles, as were probably most musicians, you included. Uh, but it has that herky jerky rhythm, like it's got the squealing harmonica and a barroom piano sound. Great songs. Can you tell me a little bit about the recording process of this? Yeah, it's it is pretty gritty and raw, and uh, you know I get excited. Still hearing it. I hadn't heard it in a while, but uh, I don't know. It just—it's just one of those things where we get into the studio, and 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 it's actually in the next studio over. It's Arden Studio A. I'm in Studio B right now. And you know, you sit down in the studio with John Fry, and and uh, he gets everything mic'd up and dials in the 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 sounds and stuff and tones and. And you're already you're already halfway there because everything sounds so amazing. And uh, how can you not be inspired to, to to kind of up your energy level naturally and and uh, and you know get put those kind of performances together? Those those kind of gritty single note lies that Alex does and and Andy and I. Uh, it seems like there was some sort of inspiration from from some other band for me, or for some other band's drummer at that point, uh, probably John Bottom. But 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 also it's like you know, it's fascinating, and I'm fascinated by like how ingrained Memphis was in R and B music, and then once the Beatles like really broke through in America, like what a change like that must have come over music. So. Like, did everyone suddenly go from playing like Al Jackson and from Booker T and the MGs to playing like Ringo Starr overnight? Well, I actually went from uh, from the Beatles to uh, soul music and uh, Al Jackson and uh, what Booker T and the MGs were doing in the Barquets and and Sam and Dave and and. Uh, you know, the, the staple singers. And uh, so my brother and I had a band actually with, with Tom Eubanks, kids in our, from kids in our neighborhood, my brother Jimmy, and, and uh, we were doing British Invasion covers. Um, and then Stax comes along, 68, 67, whatever it was. And, and uh, you know, I think 68, we put a soul band together and we're playing uh, – soul covers and you know r&b covers and we we enlisted the help of a black lead singer who who had a voice like lou rawls it was just amazing so you know i I was playing a lot of tracks that uh you know al jackson did the original drum parts on so there's something there and that certainly that al jackson's mate said well what's an influence of yours that al jackson did and it was 
it's really uh, try a little tenderness. The way Al Jackson starts with his his uh, you know stick across his snare, and you it's it's one thing, waiting. and then he starts you know quarter notes on the snare, yes. and, and it all of a sudden it there's this urgency about this thing. I mean something as simple as that. So when we were recording this as back at the first album, Life is Right, it's once I walked a lonely road and I was just hitting the two and four, and then I went and I did dot, 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 and then one, two, three, four. And that was Al Jackson. I mean, that was totally inspired by Al Jackson. So, yeah, we were all, all of us were big soul music fans and Stax fans. And I can't believe I didn't, I never made it into the studios over there. I was just too shy about it or not worthy kind of about it. No, I get it. I get it. It's it's like performing at certain comedy venues that are legendary. You just, you're like, should I, do I deserve to be up here on stage? Is this, you know, so I completely understand about being intimidated, but you know what? And this is a great little segue. You were not intimidated to sing on the next track, Way Out West. Was that good, Jody, in the segue? See how I did it? It was awesome. Thank you, brother. I've been, I've been, I've been practicing, dude. You have no idea. Because you also I get very nervous. I'm like, please don't fuck this up. Yeah. All right. So Way Out West. Uh, so Andy Hummel, uh, your bassist, wrote this about an ex-girlfriend, but then he asked you to sing it. How did that come about? And how confident were you at that point? No, oh, I just remember jumping at the chance. I did. By that point, I would try anything. Yeah. You know, Andy had sung with Alex in unison the India song, but he wasn't inclined to sing a song by himself. So they all thought I should sing it just to, as they say, give the drummer some. Got to give the drummer some. Yeah. So, uh, and th- that's how I wound up singing it. Um, cool song. I, I love that he, he asked me to sing that. It, uh, and uh, that was probably the the step up toward uh, singing more and uh, and being more comfortable about it. Oh, for sure, man. Um, great song. Uh, then we go in to what's going on. A-H-N. Uh, and this is also uh, has a song on it. This has a moment that is just a highlight on the record for me that uh, I just love. Peter, uh, play 45 seconds in, brother. So that moment just gives me chills. You know, I when, when Big Star Trip the Depart after number one record, Alex joined up with Richard Roseborough on drums and Danny Green on bass. Yeah. And uh, they did that song, She's a Mover, and Maud Lang. Yeah. And uh, and then when we all came back together again, we tried recording, re-recording those things as, as you know, the lineup of Andy, Alex, and me. And uh, we just couldn't come close to uh, the depth of emotion that was in those tracks in that in, in that in that moment when that song was coming together uh, that that uh, Richard and, and Alex and Danny Green all shared on that. So Richard Roseborough was an amazing drummer. 
Oh, you know, it's great. And I and I totally understand because of a different rhythm section, but were there any hard feelings between you, Andy, and Alex going into this album because of some of the songs having already been recorded? Not on my part. No, I thought, how can you argue with, with perfection? I mean, those tracks sound amazing. So so how long did you guys actually try to spend to re-record what had already, like you said, been perfection? Like, I mean, was it that like you did like a couple, like spent a couple hours and you were just like, fuck it, man. This is, there. it's done. It's great. Let's use it. Exactly. We probably, made, you know, we're a couple of hours at best uh, trying to re-record those songs. You know, and, and, and for those that don't know, Richard played... Most of the drums on uh, I Am The Cosmos uh, LP, Chris Bell's LP, and and, uh, played on that track. And he always added this emotional depth to to what he was doing by slowing the tempo down enough that it just, things got deeper. Uh, And I think that's part of uh, Richard's secret, but uh, not to mention his drum sounds were great too. So, uh, no, I I I was kind of, Honored in a way. I love that. I love that. Um, all right, moving on. You get what you deserve. Peter, play 122. This song uh, has a bit of darkness uh, to it in it. Um, I think what we, we were trying to break it down what it is. I think this is about communication and the universality of struggle and karma. Am I right? Am I wrong about that? Any insights? I don't know. I just feel a certain way when I hear it. And I, I, I can't even explain the way I feel. Yeah. And that's, I don't know. That's, I'm a pretty simple guy emotionally. And that's all I ever need from it. I never tried to define what Alex is singing about. I just try to feel it and always did. Yeah. But but this kind of reminds me of a famous big star story. And for our listeners that, that don't know, uh, could you please tell us about the fight between Andy and Chris and what happened to their Thunderbird bass and Yamaha acoustic guitar, respectively? Oh, sure. So... You know, we were rehearsing uh, at Alex's house, his parents' house, in the, in the living room, and, and uh, things were getting a bit contentious between Andy and Chris. Uh, at practice, Chris could ride Andy pretty hard. Uh, I know with me, he kept saying, hit harder, and, uh, and I hit pretty hard now. Um, but uh, Andy was was very reasonable about it all and said, you know, I think let's call it a day and uh, we, we can come back and start afresh tomorrow. Um, so he did and he set his Gibson Thunderbird bass down and, and started to walk out the door and Chris made another barbed comment about him and I don't remember what that was. And 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 Chris, no, Andy whipped around and walked over to Chris and just clobbered him. Uh, his Chris's glasses stayed on his head, but they were just yeah. kind of askew, and it, he had this look of shock. I could, wow, it's amazing that I can picture it so clearly. He uh, clocked him. Yeah, and uh, 
Then Andy turned around and walked out the door. And Chris walked over and grabbed Andy's bass and broke it into three pieces, which I don't know. The follow up to that is strings and things was able to put it back together. So that was cool. No shit. So, you know, as the, the story unfolds, Andy must have been stalking Chris and found Chris's, uh, you know, followed Chris over to Linda Schaefer's house. And uh, Chris had parked his car in her driveway and, and apparently left it unlocked. Uh, which you shouldn't have done even in those days, even in the 70s. Um, And certainly not this night. Uh, So Andy gets in the car, it opens his Yamaha acoustic guitar case and and, uh, takes either a screwdriver or an ice pick or something and pokes four or five holes in. I think it's four. And uh, so... Chris discovers that, and then Chris goes over to Burl Olswinger, where Andy had an account. It, it was, you know, a, it was a music store instrument dealer, and and uh, Chris charged a new guitar to Andy, and gave I, I don't know how he did that, uh, but he gave Andy the Yamaha, and then uh, you know a few years later, well maybe a year later. I was uh, looking to learn how to play acoustic guitar, and Andy said, "Here, you can have this one." So I have Chris's Chris's Yamaha with a with you have it four holes in it, <laughs> and it still plays, and it still it still works. It sounds awesome. There are a few problems that that uh, that I had corrected, um, but uh, it sounds great, and you can hear it on those Pretty Wrongs records. Oh, I love uh, that. So we're lucky to have that. And you can also hear Chris's uh, Gibson. I, I think it was a 330. We we use that on a few songs on those Pretty Wrongs records too. But uh, so I get this guitar. Alex shows me a few chords. And, uh, and I sit down and I wrote for you on the guitar. Ah. And so that's that's that story. When I come home so cold at night, seventy do do. I love, I dude, I fucking love that song, dude. For you, because it's weird, uh, especially in my case, uh, to start with third. Do you know what I mean? Like third is third is is higher on the list. It went third, number one record, and then this one, which uh, you know, I don't know if you're really trying to develop. Uh, uh, a fandom of a band is to start with, you know, a record that isn't the full band. It isn't the first, you know, interpretation of it. And like, I love third. It, it, it didn't connect with me as well as the other uh, two re- albums did. But let me tell you something, uh, Jody, for you is such a phenomenal song, man. And yeah, dude, it's like, that was the moment that I became a big star fan. Wow. Like literally hearing you sing that shit was just like, I mean, it just, I put it on in my apartment. So even to prep for this, I was like, I just got to listen to this and listen to this, man. It's just so good. So I'm glad to know that you played it on the, uh, on the, the poked hold guitar. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, and then there's Carl Marsh's string arrangements on that. Carl was a, a friend of mine and, and had been doing some work at the studio and I brought him in to do strings for that song. And, uh, and that's what led, what led Carl to, to hooking up with Alex and doing strings on, on many of the songs on the album. 
So, all right. So moving on, the next song is Mod Lang. Uh, this is another one with the other rhythm section. Great song, but sounds, in my opinion, a little too much uh, like the Stones for me. Uh, so let's move on to Back of a Car. Uh, because I feel that this has the best intro on the album. Uh, play it, Peter. All right, not to take anything away from the other guys, but I think when you and Andy were a part of it, it really gelled as classic big star. And this immediately, in my opinion, fits in with some of your best stuff. I mean, it's all there. Like, it's sonically, and Alex is back in a car with the music blasting, and it's still totally unsure about love. I just imagine you guys cruising around Memphis together as a band. Am I right about that, or...? I don't think we ever cruised around together. No cruising. No, I. Uh, but the but the song itself, it's Alex had this way, and I've I've always derived whatever energy I I, I, I share with a song from the way a lead singer uh, delivers it, the way the guitarist delivers it, uh, and I don't know that there's anybody more of an inspiration than Alex out there and Chris. Uh, so I don't know. That's how that stuff's, I had, I was immediately excited. So that's that, I don't know. That's, that's the way I think that song reflects that. Oh, I, a hundred percent, man. It just, it just, it feels like there's a connection there other than just, you know, we're playing a song. It feels like there is a real vibration, but you, Andy, and Chris had ice water before Alex joined and morphed into Big Star. So, how close were all of you at the best of times? Oh, I, you know, I was Andy and I were going to school, and uh, I was the only guy in the band that had to work. Uh, so I had a part time job. And what were you uh, doing at some point? Well, I was the doorman at a at, at a bar just down the street in Overton Square for a little while, checking and- IDs. Yeah. <laughs> Throw it out to drunkards? Yeah. I, I, they said bouncer. And I'm thinking, I was, I was about as far away as you could possibly get from being a bouncer. Yeah. Uh, I've never been in a fight in my life. Um, but I always worked in some form or, or a day guy here at Orton, stuffing envelopes. Sure. And, and I'd run the occasional errand over to Stacks because we were, we were really close with Al Bell and the Stacks folks. and. Because a lot of their artists worked here, uh, but I never went in. I always left the package at the with the guard at the gate. Uh, so I don't. I guess we didn't. Uh, we were all busy, uh, so we didn't really hang out together, and never really did. When I was younger, Andy and I would hang out a little bit. Uh, with uh, Mike Fleming, who was the guy that introduced us. And we would do that. But as a band, we never hung out together much. Really? Yeah. Do you regret that? Uh, I was just busy. You know, I had a girlfriend, too. and No, Tony, don't get me started, dude. Yeah, that's, all you, that's all you had to say, dude. And we had a girlfriend. <laughs> I didn't have any money. Yeah. So every now and then we would, we would go out and... and uh, 
you know, somebody else would pick up the bill. Like there was a record promoter here in the building and we'd sit down at his table and Tim would graciously pick up the bill. Uh, that was great. But uh, yeah, it's oddly enough, we never hung out together that much. The number you have reached is 100.7 WMMS. It wasn't just a radio station, it was a lifestyle. Cleveland is, is a rock and roll city for sure. I feel like Get down! The Wrath of the Buzzer. WMMS. Cleveland. The rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in America. Profiles. The Wrath of the Buzzard. P-R-O-H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts. Porn, Satan, drugs, therapy. It's not just the list of what I'm up to this weekend. I'm comedian Kiki Anderson, and those are just a handful of the taboo topics I've poked and prodded at so far on my podcast, Indecent, the show where we peel at the wallpaper of polite society. Each episode digs into the dark underbelly of our culture to dissect the things we aren't allowed to talk about around the dinner table, featuring conversations with comedians, activists, journalists, academics. They all help me figure out the who, what, and why behind what is and isn't acceptable behavior. And Decent with Kiki Anderson, where NSFW meets LMAO. Well, let me ask you this then. Then, then with the original lineup, what would what do you think is was the perfect big star moment for you? Where you were just like it, it. I don't know if it all and and especially since we what happened, we know what happened. Was there a moment that you were just like that? Looking back now, you're like, man, it was it was never better than that moment. I don't know. There were several moments with uh, number one record. I, I got to tell, I I I I was so excited to be in that band and playing with those guys uh, that I had lots of those moments. Um, but I, yeah, Ballad of El Goodo maybe is one of those moments, uh, for number one record. Um, cause it, it all comes together I, in the street or feel, um, you know, Chris is just singing his ass off on, on Radio City could be life is white, but oh my soul, I think. Is one of those moments that um, if it sounds like it, it really does sound like it. Where it's it's just so you guys sound so connected, you know, and everybody sounds perfectly tonally wise. Thank you, friends. I think for the third album, maybe. Yeah. Next song I want to talk about is Daisy Glaze. So you have a co-writing credit on this, and the first half kind of reminded me of the slow psychedelia of Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds on the first listen. And then halfway through, there there's these drum beats like Lucy, and then it starts picking up steam. So, Peter, play uh, a little taste. Lyrically, this is a very dark song, you know? There's still that sadness and confusion of looking for the girl that might not love him. And then you add dancing and bar fight or fighting a bar and trying to score drugs and getting angrier and angrier at the girl until she just wishes he or maybe even she were dead. So am I right about this? Am I am I wrong? But there's a there's a kind of a, of a sadness. Uh yeah, I you know I never really thought much about it uh, because I'd just grown up with rock and roll and 
it's not like lyrics really had to make sense. Sure. At times, but I mean, you you can create these scenarios that that uh, make make some sort of emotional sense, or uh, so I never really thought about it. It's not it's not like I've ever pictured Alex in a barroom scene, you know, a brawl. So I don't, yeah, I don't know where that came from, but it sure was fun to play. Oh, 100%. Let me ask you this, because you, you being now a co-writer uh, on this song, how comfortable did you feel sharing your ideas with the band? I, uh, for the most part, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure what my contribution was there. Um, I think, Alec, it, it, it may not have been a fully realized song, and Alex was trying to find his way through a couple of things, and we just, we all figured it out together. But uh, I was, did I, I was uncomfortable probably at that point, not because of of any of their actions, but because, you know, what they were coming up with was so incredible. I just thought I might say something or may make a suggestion that might be detrimental to it. Well then, all right. So moving on because this would be a good follow up uh, with "She's a Mover" because this is the last song with the other rhythm section. It has this sort of sludgy version of a mid to late '60s Who song. Here, play uh, twenty three seconds in. See if you agree with me. So it sounds like Marsha may be the girl from Daisy Glaze that gave Alex all that grief. Um, And we talked at length about Alex's volatile state of mind and his relationship issues during the episode for the third record. So when did you first start to see that side of Alex? Uh, You know, sometime during uh, recording the third album. But, you know, I'm not sure if it was during that or, or post-recording post, uh, uh, after we'd recorded the record and, and were, were just kind of in limbo. But I didn't really see too much of it because I, I wasn't around. Uh, we, would, we would record during the day. Um, and then Alex, if he was going to do something else, he would, he would come in at night and, uh, and I wouldn't be around, uh, cause I went, one, I can't, I just can't drink and play. And I think that's, you know, he would hit that state of, 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 you know, from recreational use and, of substances or drink and, uh, and want to record. And uh, I think that's that's kind of where Richard entered because, you know, I don't know if Richard was doing anything or not other than just being there and being game for it. Um, but I was, yeah, I didn't really witness too much of it. I just, uh, we just, we just sort of drifted apart during that time, you know, for whatever reasons. I, 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 yeah, it just wasn't the lifestyle I was looking to lead, and um, so we, we did, and I went on to other things, and he went on on to do some really cool stuff. So, 
Sure, sure. Well, let's talk about something really cool that you guys did together, which is the next song, September Girls. Uh, Peter, play the intro. So, for everybody out there, before that 70s show used In the Street as its theme song, it's safe to say that this single was your most popular song. And in my opinion, Jody, this really is a pop masterpiece. And only, like, I don't even think it's three minutes long. I think it's under three minutes. Um, So, I mean, you could tell how respected this song is. Rolling Stone magazine ranked the song as 178 on its 500 greatest songs of all time. Um, So this is a two-part question I want to ask you. Uh, One, uh, am I a December boy? And what the fuck does that mean? (laughs) Uh, No, you don't have to answer that. Really, the question I want to ask you is... No, Alex was way into astrology, and that's what that was. Oh, okay, perfect. Okay, the main question I want to ask you, Jody, is did you guys know how perfect this was when you cut it? I knew it was exciting. Yeah. I mean, again, Alex comes up with this opening riff and, and this energy, and, you know, we all just leap right in. There's certainly a lot of us. I was likening it to a brawl, not that I've ever been in one. But, you know, you watch these westerns and stuff, and a fight starts, and everybody's energy just goes through the roof. And they'll start, everybody starts fighting. And uh, I don't know, that's probably a terrible analogy, but yeah. No, it's, it's apt. It's uh, such a cool energy there. And, and I knew it, I mean, I knew it was something special from start to finish. It, it's it's really a perfect song. It's like I'm trying to get my friend, uh, I'm trying to get not just my friend, I'm trying to get so many people into this band. And I, I sent this to my, I don't know if you know the comedian, Jim Jeffries. He he's loves the Beatles and Stone Roses and Oasis and, and all of these great British bands. And, and, I'm, and I just said, we were hanging out last night and I was like, dude, you have to hear this. And so I sent him September Girls and he literally, like five minutes after I sent it to him, he texted me back, this is a perfect song. Wow. And I, I mean, it's it's so cool. Like you can see it because this song's been covered so many times, um, most notably by the Bengals on their 1986 album *Different Light*. Uh, how does it make you feel to see all these different artists take your music and 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 honor it? Well, that was flattering, and it was also an introduction to the Bengals. And and I've been I've been friends with those girls for a while, and uh, so it was another opportunity to to expand the community and. You know, the Bengals have, have uh, Susanna Hoffs and, and Vicky and uh, her sister uh, have joined us uh, on Big Star's third live shows a few times, and it's always a pleasure to have them. Uh, I don't know. You know, it, it certainly did well for Alex. That album sold a couple of million, and, and so Alex was the sole writer on that song. So I'm sure it put a smile on his face financially. <laughs> I mean, of, I mean, of course. Yeah, they did a very cool, uh, beautiful version of it. It was cool. I know Susanna changed the uh, I Was Your Butch and You Were Touched lyric because 
even even I thought I was your butch. I you know butch meaning tough guy. I that's what I thought it was for a long time. And but Chris Stamey cleared it up for me because he had a he had a conversation with Alex about it. And Alex said butch is a character in a comic. Butch was a dog, a little puppy dog that followed its owner around, and uh, so. That was the analogy. Alex was following this girl around like a little puppy dog. I was your butch. And uh, so when we do it, when they we, when they sing it for Big Star's Third Live and stuff, she sings the original lyrics. That's great. That's such a great song, man. Um, all right. Two more tracks. Uh, so we get to, if I'm going to say this right, Morpha 2. Did I get that? Yeah. Morpha 2. At under a minute and a half and filled with room noise, this sounds more like a hastily recorded piano and vocal demo with harmony ideas layered on after. Uh, the lyrics are, are in the familiar territory of love is torture. Uh, were you or Andy around for any of this recording? I wasn't. I think that it sounds like one of those late night things where he just sat at the, down at the piano and, and probably got it the first take. Yeah. All right, final song on the record, I'm in Love with the Girl. Uh, this was a song that stopped me in my tracks. I think it's just perfect. Uh, Peter, play uh, some for me, buddy. This is a song that just, like, I feel like I'm going to get choked up now thinking about it. It's just so perfectly simple, so perfectly beautiful. Um, and and in my opinion, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but this kind of sounds like a sequel to 13. Am I right or wrong? Uh, you know, in its own little way, yeah, could do. I never really connected to the two, but that makes sense to me. Well, I mean, like 13, like perfectly sums up that adolescent love of, you know, I don't think there's ever been a song that captured it more perfectly than 13. And, and, and this is, is, it's just, it's, it's, it's like when you fall in love with somebody, it's the most magical experience ever. When you really feel connected to another human being and, and there's real love there. And that's why you hear all these love songs and some of these love songs that have been written are are elaborate and there's movements and this this is just so simple. Just him, the guitar, you know, and, and perfect note choices and, and, and words that this sums it up perfectly. And I know it's on the following album, but I also hear similarities to your song that I love so much for you, which is like my favorite out of, I think any of the big star records. And they're both just such pure expressions of love. And for a band whose album subjects are often driven by confusion and conflict to end with such a pretty little innocent love song is in my opinion, kind of staggering. Yeah. I I guess that's one of the, connections that for me and 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 you know seemingly for a lot of people that emotionally big star was a pretty dynamic band uh, it certainly ran the gamut of all of them uh some pleasant and and some not so pleasant um but uh it is a it, it it's it's love in its purest form and and the way alex relates it with that vocal 
is so sweet and beautiful and uh yeah and and thanks for comparing that for you to that because that's oh my dude it, it, it listen you know and and this is what my goal of this podcast is is there is oh my god i'm getting choked up just being the same what i'm about to say music is one of the most beautiful art forms or, or, or let me rephrase that most beautiful you know things the universe has ever given us because it connects with us on such a deeper level than a film or a book or, and music just touches our soul and if the song sounds good doesn't make a difference if you're white black asian mexican you if if you can if it sounds good and it connects with you it connects with everybody and uh and and i and, and big star has just created so many songs that since i started doing this podcast that have sat with me and it it like to know that that so many people don't know about your band like it angers me because it's music that has inspired so many artists and so many you know people that 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 are that are hugely popular would not be where they are without big star uh, like, how does that make you feel to know that you've inspired generations of of talented musicians that might not have actually written the songs they did if it wasn't for you guys getting together when you did? Well, I think the plus there is is uh, Big Star is a is a pretty amazing common denominator with a lot of people, a lot of people that I'm a fan of. I have a tremendous amount of respect for, uh, and so we immediately have something in common. And uh, I don't know, I'm always about community and, and people and, and uh, the interaction. And I think Chris Stamey was brilliant in putting Big Stars Third live together and the community that, that comes together for that. Uh, and, and, you know, Luther and I did uh, a, UK, uh, a tour of Britain or UK. We did, yeah, I started out in Edinburgh and went down to London, went back up to Glasgow and down to London again. And, uh, and a lot of it, folks that were big star fans came and, and all of a sudden that it just, it just broadened the community for those pretty wrongs and what Luther Russell and I were doing. So I, that's how I measure it. And I get to do this. I'm get I get to do this podcast. Uh, it certainly helped. It certainly helped get my job at Ardent that I've been here for 33 years. <laughs> I I, I want to keep that thought what you were talking about with with this with this influence. Uh, so usually I sing facts here. I'm, I'm just going to sing into our next section. Uh, all the facts and facts. All right, here we go. So uh, you probably know this, but Katy Perry's 2010 hit "California Girls" used the same spelling of girls as G U R L S at the urging of her manager as a tribute to Big Star. So we're talking about the influence. I mentioned that and, and you knowing, and you guys have had such a, such a loyal fan base of established musicians. When did you first realize the influence that you had on all these artists? Oh, I don't know. But I, I, it's either Peter Buck or Mike Mills um, through an interview in Rolling Stone or, or, you know, some music publication. Uh, and, you know, I was excited about that because I was a big R.E.M. fan. Um, that and I, I was in London. I spent two and a half months in London in 1978. And I ran into Nick Kent, who was a kind of iconic music writer there in England. And 
you know, he uh, he had a bootleg of the third album because it had yet to come out. It was it was coming out shortly on Aura Records in England in '78, and and uh, I don't know. He had a bootleg of that, and he had a bootleg of our WLIR broadcast. Uh, so I'm thinking. You know, they, it's cool that they're fans. And we knew there were people into the band in, in the UK. And and during my course of stay there, EMI reissued our first two albums as a double vinyl set. And, and uh, you know, there was always something in the press about the band, whether it was someone looking to, to buy uh, one of our albums or, or something about Alex or a, a band comparison to Big Star or... But uh, I don't know, you know, and it just kind of the Bengals doing September Girls and and uh, the Afghan Wigs and and, and uh, Greg Dooley and those guys. Uh, that was a common denominator to my meeting them and 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 the Afghan Wigs coming to Arden to record. Um, yeah, Bobby Gillespie uh, with Primal Scream. It uh, that's in part why they came to Memphis to record Jim Dickinson and. And Tom Dowd, but they were Bobby's a big, big star fan, as I am a Primal Scream fan. Uh, I don't know; it's just it's just fun, and I, I measure it in terms of friendships and in the way I feel. No, totally. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same so if that sounds cool you can listen and subscribe at soundtalentmedia.com and i'll see you there well you mentioned it just a second ago and we've already discussed it earlier but uh talking about the rock writers convention of 1973 in memphis you had you had said uh lester bangs you have young future filmmaker cameron crowe who's 17 years old and and big star is is kind of this critically adored band so how would you describe your relationship with the critics? Oh, I'm, I critics are the reason why we have an audience today. Yeah. <laughs> they, John King, well, one, the catalyst for all that was John King here at Ardent. I mean, John Fry made some beautifully sounding records. And then John King, who was the, he and John Fry actually wound up, and Fred Smith started Ardent Recordings. Fred Smith founded Federal Express a few years later. Uh, and John King joined up in, in, in album promotions and stuff. And John King was just brilliant at getting the records into the right hands and then putting that rock writers thing together. So, you know, rock writers, and then they, they wrote about us and said good things. Uh, and then when a, a band who, who sounded something similar to us, came along, they would mention the band's name. And then so musicians started talking about us. And I don't know, you know, rock writers were, were, were the voice, were the megaphone, you know, back then. There was no internet. Sure. And we were getting no radio play, so there you have it. Yeah, well, I totally, totally. Um, so you mentioned John Fry. So for everybody who doesn't know, producer, he was the producer and founder of Ardent Studios. But uh, 
was not just involved with the first three big star albums. You ended up working beside him at Ardent for over, if I'm not mistaken, 30 years as studio manager and now continue to as the vice president. Uh, and he passed away in 2014, December. Yeah. So we know he was so proud of the band and your work together. And as something of a mentor, what was the best advice he gave you? Oh, John was very methodical about things. And uh, he would he would think about things before responding. Um, I mean, he was a pretty well-rounded guy. And, and he approached his life pretty much like he approached recording in, in even a simpler way of, of doing that. He was a pilot, too. He had an instructor's rating. And he taught... He was teaching us all how to fly, Chris Bell and Annie Hummel and Richard Roseborough and Dando and all the folks that were around. And, and so there's a, you know, there's a pre-flight checklist that you go through when, when you're about to get into a plane and take off. And, and, and it's a walk around the plane. You get a wooden stick and you measure the gas in the tank physically. You stick it down into the gas tank because just in case your gas meter's off. And you get in and you run through this whole checklist of things. And that's the way John would run a recording session. It would be this whole checklist of things and, you know, demagnetizing the heads and cleaning the pinch rollers and, and, uh, and, and you know, connections and signal flow, whatever. He would do that too. Uh, I don't know. John Fry's biggest influence on me may have been, I was so impressed with John that that uh, I figured, you know, I must be okay if, if I'm getting to hang around John Fry. Yeah. It kind of put me at ease with myself. I love um, that. But I don't, I get, there were, there are countless things that I would go to John about and, uh, and he, he would be very pragmatic and, and, I mean, there, there'd be these simple revelations in the way you would approach things. So. All right. Terrific. Um, the iconic front cover image of a light bulb on the red ceiling of a red room was an existing photo by famed photographer and family friend of Alex Chilton's William Eggleston. The back photo is the band partying at a TGI Fridays in Memphis. I think being somewhere between fine art and your local bar band is a fair analogy for Big Star. Uh, what do you think would have changed about the band if the world was fair and you guys got the distribution so your audience found you early on? Oh, I don't know. It, uh, it, it all worked out. I, uh, you know, the records are finding an audience and, and I'd have had a, an amazing career at an ardent uh, Alex wow, went on to just do what Alex wanted to do and create the way he wanted to create. And and uh, I think in the end, financially, you know, he, 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 uh, he could support himself from income that was being derived from having written big star songs. Like I'm in love with a girl was used in a Heineken commercial. And, and, you know, he co-wrote uh, in the street with Chris and, and that why that wound up being in that 70s show. And in those episodes, you know, once it went into syndication, you know, they could run four shows a month. Oh, yeah. So, you know, Alex said that's that's when the uh, income got got appreciable. Um, 
so and Andy Hummel went off and and uh, you know finished school. Uh, got, he was an English major at, at Rhodes here and uh, went to uh, mechan- mechanical engineering, got an associate's degree, and then went on and got an MBA in finance. But you know he raised a beautiful family and 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 had a wonderful life. And uh, you know and again I. I, I I got a job here at Arden and had a pretty amazing life. And maybe things wouldn't, wouldn't have turned out so well. If all of a sudden we got this recognition, we're on the road. Um, you know, if that happened with the first album, the whole band could have been finished by the time we got off the road supporting it. Oh, it's, it's yeah, coulda, woulda, or who knows. Uh. All right, so last fact. After years of being packaged as a twofer with number one record, a lovingly remastered Radio City was recently re-released on vinyl on its own earlier this year. And I loved the line Alex used when introducing a new song from the Big Star Records you guys did with Ken Stringfellow and John Auer from the Posies in 2005. He's quoted of saying, you may not like it now, but you'll love it in 30 years. Yeah, brilliant. So... As the lone surviving member of a band with four distinct periods, what would you like the lasting legacy of Big Star to be? Oh, I don't know. You know, it's it, people, people, the audience are the ones that make it a legacy. And, and so it's just the emotion that they feel from those records. And, and uh, I, yeah, just the emotional uh, connection um, of those records. I don't know. It's hard to say. For me, it's it's I measure it in in friends and what I'm able to do around the world, uh, you know, in different configurations. Whether it's those pretty wrongs or or Big Star's Third Live. So that's the legacy for me is to to con- being able to continue to connect with people. No, I love it, and I I, I completely understand where you're coming from when you say that. And and trust me, man. Uh, you and the rest of the members of that band deserve the recognition because uh, if I never would have done this podcast, I don't know if I would have discovered Big Star. And I don't know if I would have that deep connection that you're talking about uh, with some of these songs. So I, I can't thank you enough for not just taking the time out today to speak with me about this record, but for being a part of such a brilliant brilliant band and so many brilliant and loving songs so thank you jody so much from the bottom of my heart for talking to me today bud oh thanks josh i appreciate it but let me let me back up for half a second back up and, and uh, after i said that beautiful thing yeah that was beautiful <laughs> but john hour we mentioned john hour earlier uh he and ken string fellow joined big star as members in 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 uh, 1993 and had they not joined up and and uh, gotten the band underway again, I, I'm not sure who would know about Big Star now. To tell you the truth, I uh, because they kept us on a platform that, uh, you know, to to some extent, people that were interested in the band stayed engaged, and 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 because of that, the the audience continued to grow. So there was. There was John Auer and Ken Stringfellow, and then there's uh, Daniel McCarthy, who had the idea to do the Big Star documentary, uh, and, and you know that kind of perpetuates the legacy, or, 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 or 
it continues to turn people onto the band. Uh, and, and then there's Chris Tamey's Big Star Third Alive that keeps it alive. I uh, And then, of course, Cheryl Pavelski's amazing uh, Big Star box set that she did for Rhino. So I, there are a lot of people that uh, that go into supporting this band and keeping this platform for us uh, so that we can be introduced to people like you and and, uh, and others and uh, through the years. So I don't know. I had to say that. No, completely. And, and I'll tell you the truth, uh, Jody, I'm going to do everything in my part to spread the gospel of Big Star because, you know, out of out of all the records we've done on this list, uh, I connect with all of them. But there's but a, a lot of those albums are you know are have we either big albums or the or the band went on to do this. And Big Star is one of those bands and has created these albums that I feel more people should know. So I'm going to do everything in my body to make sure this gets out to more people. So oh, thank I'm a part of the team. Can I be an honorary Big Star? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I dub you an honorary Big Star. That's how we're ending it. Jody, thank you so much, buddy. This was fantastic, man. Yeah, glad to. Thank you so much for the interest. What did I tell you guys? What did I tell you? The one and only Jody Stevens. Follow him on Twitter at J-O-D-Y underscore Big Star. Guys, if you haven't listened to the other two Big Star records, we've already done them. They're incredible. Dig into them. Also, join the Patreon, guys. The 500 Club is alive and well. Where we're posting full episodes over the last two years. All the episodes were trimmed down. We're giving away merch with our boy Young and Sick. We're cooking up a lot of cool shit. So join the Patreon. You can find that all on our website, the500podcast.com. Now, we just listened to Big Star from 1974. This week, our new music pick is a fan submission, Arizonan Summer. You're listening to their Big Star-inspired power pop track, This Must Be The End. Chris Ricewig is the mastermind and songwriter behind art rock band Arizonian Summer. The band's first album, Temperatures Rise, was produced by Dave Truffio, who has worked with Wilco, Built to Spill, and the Jesus and Mary Chain, to name a few. The album is lead guitars that are reminiscent of Chilton's playing style, as well as vocal melodies very similar to Big Star. Chris is also a big fan of the podcast. Dude, I fucking love you, Chris. Thank you for sending us your song. This shit rips. I enjoy it. Everybody else will enjoy it. And if this podcast is a small way of getting your music to the world, thank you for letting me be that conduit. This is what I'm trying to tell you guys. Send us your music, man. If you're in a band and you are influenced by one of these albums or artists, like we will play that shit at the end of the podcast. I will give you free publicity. I want to help you. Send us your music. We will play it. And you can send it to 500podcasts at gmail.com. Make sure you put the album and artist that influenced you in the subject line. Next week is Dr. John Week as we go deep into his 1972 album, Dr. John's Gumbo. So y'all got some homework to do. Listen to the album, do your homework, stay fleecy, and doogle, doogle.
Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal, the man, to Fat Mike from No Effects, and Ian Mackay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, Peer Pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media. Next Chapter Podcasts.